finally got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform, well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. I'm Campbell Such, and I'm really excited today to have Diana Taylor from Rianz on the show with me. Welcome, Diana. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. I'm really pleased to be here. Diana is currently the Chief Executive of Rianz, New Zealand's crown-owned national research and education network. Rianz operates and supports a specialist high-performance digital network that's engineered to meet the unique demands of scientists, researchers, innovators, and educators. With access to large data transfer capabilities and network tools that encourage multi-institutional collaboration, New Zealand has access to the world's unique science facilities and global collaboration opportunities. How good is that? Prior to this, Diana held CIO and general manager roles at NZ Racing Board and Kiwi Bank. She brings with her strong strategic and stakeholder engagement skills and experience across a broad range of sectors in both the the private and public sectors. Diana is also recognized as a highly capable leader skilled in developing, mentoring and motivating high performance staff. So look, that's a fantastic bio, Diana. Thank you for coming on the show. To kick off, what's one thing that not many people would know about you? Yeah, this is an interesting one. couple of things. Um, one is that um, I'm mad keen on endurance sport. So um, I do lots of crazy events and push myself to the limits, um, both mentally and physically. And it kind of really energizes you to do more and give you focus at work, which sounds a bit odd, but it's just a crazy outlet. Um, and the other one is that um, I am passionate about making sure that New Zealand is um, a desirable place to work. So, you know, a lot of the roles I've taken are driven by the fact that they're a New Zealand um, role or that, um, you know, that they are doing something significant to help New Zealand. So, yeah, that's something people wouldn't know about me at all. Well, well, that's great. And perhaps some insight into you that uh, people in your team and, and other, other people that know you might, might find fascinating. Mm. Um, interesting around endurance, does that mean that someone like David Goggins might be a bit of a hero for you? <laughs> do you know who David, David yes, Goggins I is? Do. Of, <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of those one of those amazing athletes that, or people that push themselves beyond. So, uh, wow, that's, uh, and and it's amazing, isn't it? How uh, focusing on making sure that you're, that you're fit and healthy uh, is incredible for giving you clarity and thought at work and, and also being able to focus and, and play the long game. um, Absolutely. And look, that is something that, um, 
you know, as you get more experienced and more senior in roles, I think is even more critical um, because it's easy to get consumed by your role and by um, the, you know, demands of a role um, that often the first thing you compromise is your personal safety and your health and, you know, your presence and your ability to lead because you believe that, you know, driving the results for the organisation is more key than actually your own priorities, you know, your personal priorities. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is very easy when you get when you move into leadership roles, or pretty much any role really, where you've got a passion to deliver and a motivator to really achieve. As you start to, to move up the, into leadership and then move in, the, those those other things around your health and fitness and well being can tend to take a back seat. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you do to make sure that you fit those around what you do, and, and obviously a very high profile, high demanding role? How do you fit those things around your role? Because mm-hmm. it's incredibly important for new leaders to to recognise that that may be some of the challenges that they face coming into a role, and that'd be really helpful to know. Yeah, look, um, uh, boundaries. Boundaries are just so important, and um, I think if somebody told me that, you know, much earlier on, I would have been much better at it versus learning through life. Um, But actually having boundaries and putting value on things that are intrinsically important to you and then protecting them. So I know, um, for me, uh, endurance sports, the solitude um, is deeply invigorating and re-energising for me because I'm naturally very introverted. Being a chief executive or a CIO or a more public-facing roles that I've had, you have to be more extroverted. So, you know, it's it's making sure that you get that deep introversion time to re-energize yourself where, you know, on the weekends I won't really be hanging out with 100 people and um, competing for attention or mm-hmm. needing to tell my story over and above theirs. I'm happy to go to functions, that sort of thing, but I really like to normalize it where I probably would have gone out for a couple of hours of riding or running on my own that morning to make sure that I've got the capacity to actually really, you know, be engaged, be present without thinking the whole time, you know, be quiet. Um, And and the boundaries are important because, um, you know, especially being um, a senior female figure, um, we, you know, a lot of the role models we have of other senior female figures are that um, you can have it all. And you can, you can have it all, absolutely. But there are compromises that are made and without putting those boundaries in place, the compromises you make, you know, tend to be your own self-sacrifice rather than it being, you know, the career or the time you have with family. And so you end up with this dichotomy of carrying all this guilt um, and responsibility for not actually valuing self and, Um, I've definitely been a fender of that um, for numerous years before you end up in a situation where you kind of go, actually, you've got a really promising career, you've got a really healthy family life, and you're not so healthy. And if it's something that's really fundamental to you, and it is something that, you know, I really place a lot of value on, um, and you've compromised it, you're not winning. You're not winning at work. You're not winning at home because you're actually not even fulfilled as a human being. So um, everyone gets what they need except you. Yeah. 
And and how did you come to the realization or the that, that epiphany that that was that was really important in order for you to um, not just succeed in your role but but succeed in in life and have and and somehow you know we talk about work life balance I'm not sure that's a I'm not sure that's the right way to look at things but somehow integrating your life with the, you know your non work life with your work life how did you come to that point and and when you talk about boundaries what are the boundaries are they time boundaries or how, how do you do what's what does that mean to you um so a couple of things surround yourself with people that you can learn from and whether it's a coach or a mentor or a mixture of both or um just a trusted advisor uh, i feel pretty fortunate to be at the stage of my career and really look back and think about you know probably three really significant figures in my career that have either um you know, given me the opportunities to grow and learn and um, um, or just been a significant figure for me to really look at and think, wow, okay, you know, there's such an authentic leader um, and it gives you confidence and faith in your own ability to lead um, that it gives you that kind of, you know, shot in the arm that you need and a bit of conviction that you don't have to be somebody you're not. Um, when I talk about boundaries, they are really fundamental things around knowing the leader you want to be versus the leader that you're perceived to be. And, um, you know, I've done lots of commercial roles when I was in the private sector, and I've had to be a person um, that's driven results, that's worried about the bottom line, that's been hard, that's been commercial, and you learn a lot through that journey. And you know, it was great to have a successful career in the private sector. However, you know, when I left, it was really significant looking back over my 16 years and thinking the company made a lot of money, but I was one of 20,000 employees and really was I that impactful? And, you know, I did make quite a purposeful decision at that point in my career to say, actually, I want to work for businesses that A, uh, orientated towards my values. So you've got to be clear about what your purpose is and what your values are and put that at the centre of your decisioning. And then the other thing is, um, you know, the boundaries that you put around that are when you're looking at roles, you're not looking at the title, the hierarchy, the status of a role. You're looking at this is a good role, it really interests me, there's an opportunity in there um, to do something that's aligned with my purpose and my values. And also, what's in it for me? So am I going there to help them or am I going there to learn something new? And um, I've had some, some, I guess, you know, I don't have a traditional career path that, um, you know, I followed a, a direct technical bent or... Um, been a traditionalist in that respect and people say wow you've had some awesome jobs um, it's not even about that I think if you go in and you look at the role for what the role is um, who you're going to work for and why you're doing it you look at opportunities differently than just the status hierarchy or the pay the pay becomes irrelevant to be honest I've had higher paying jobs and hated them you know, it's not fulfilling if you're just there intrinsically. For me, anyway, one of my values isn't around the money. It's around the impact. So, 
you know, I could earn four times what you're earning now and be really unhappy. Again, you know, that comes down to what are your values, your principles around it? How do you put those really clear boundaries in place? Yeah. Well, look, that, that's really insightful. A couple of things I'm, I get from that is that the, for you, the, um, it, it's super important that the organisation that you work for matches your values. So that's something that's, um, I guess, early in your career, something that you'd, that you'd encourage people to, to think about carefully mm. would be what their values are, look, look for an organisation. Uh, and then around the what, what you, how you can grow, like there's two parts to it, isn't there? What you can contribute and what you can get out of it and how do you grow as a person in whatever role you're in? And then we're talking about leadership, so in a leadership role, having the people around you is really, really powerful. And one of the things that I've found makes a massive difference is who do you work for or who do you work, you know, who do you report to? Because mm -hmm. that makes a massive difference. And perhaps we'll come to that a little bit later in the show when we start talking about the difference that a, a really good boss of a leader, or a really good leader of a leader can can make. Can we just go back to the start of your career, Diana? Yeah, just and, one um, thing though, you know, the what you said there, just to um, pull out, you know, when you're at the beginning of your career and you work for an organisation, you're still learning. You're still learning who you are. You're still learning what you like and you're still learning and developing your values. So they... They may be innate, like I believe some of the things that are really purposeful for me, I've always had, like they've always been part of my DNA and it just takes you time and maturity and learning and being vulnerable to learn these things um, to really polish those up and be really succinct about it. Um, you know, I had 16 years at ANZ. I had numerous roles over um, my period with them, both here and in Australia, and I'm thankful for the opportunities that were afforded to me in that corporate career. And they weren't a bad employer at all. All I learned was I'm not intrinsically motivated by shareholder value. You know, directly or indirectly, um, you know, we were making big decisions um, and we treated everything as a financial transaction, including the way we discussed people. They were just an FTE, you know, they came with pros and cons and it was cut and thrust. And some people, that is them through and through. And I don't have anything against that. It's just not me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so you, 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 you may have intrinsic values, but you, you work them out over time and, and perhaps through the different roles and the things that work and don't work for you. And, and yeah. but just to have that in the back of your mind is something to be looking for so that it can help shape your decisions around the roles and the steps that you take. I think it was interesting you said you didn't have a traditional role. I don't think I know anyone that has a traditional role. I mean, if traditional was coming out of a, a technical role into leadership from a leader's perspective, then that probably is. But when I look back on my career, when I look back on, and when most people look back on their careers, it looks kind of like a straight line. But when you're going through it, it's it's really, really all over the place. And yeah. uh, and and that's how most careers go. And the important yeah. thing is to is to learn what you can from where you are. And when you take the next step, make informed decisions based around, you know, what's going to take you on and yeah. onto your learnings and development in your career. And then where, where can you best add value? Mm. Look, that's great. That's great insight, Diana. Thank you. Just, just coming back to the start of your career, 
Mm. Um, for a new leader, you know, that, that, that's their first role. Can mm. you just talk about um, a little bit about your first steps into leadership mm. and and the things that you learned and, and how you felt at the time and, and some, perhaps some of the challenges that you had? Uh, my first leadership role was actually leading a team that I'd been part of for four years. Um, so I was in the team for three and a half years and then I went on parental leave and when I came back, uh, my my manager had left and um, uh, the role was vacant. So I applied for the role and I was successful. And and I always look back on this role um, when you're a when you're a colleague of people and um, you're working for somebody, your relationship with your colleagues is very different than when you become their boss. And um, you know things that you just acknowledge but ignore when you're a colleague because it's not your responsibility. When you're then becoming their manager, that is on you. And um, it was the most challenging role. And I had been in the role because of my technical expertise, as we all were. And then when you become a manager and you realise that actually to truly develop into the leader that you need to be to, to, to lead that team forward, you're going to have to let go. So there was a huge sense of loss. You had to let go of some of the things that had made you, you know, high-performing as a team member weren't going to make me high-performing as a leader. Um, the other thing was the, you know, um, when you're managing the team, the challenge was they didn't invite you out to coffee anymore. You were the boss. And I found that really like within weeks of sort of being appointed to being feeling a little bit isolated or then one or two would invite you out. But when you've got a group of people, you've got to be careful that you're not, um, you know, just seen to go out to coffee with one of them because it's then perceived that you're mates and, you know, how can you have those conversations if you're mates? Um, and you have to performance manage people that were your friends that aren't necessarily delivering when you're looking at it from a holistic level as the leader right across the department, where when you're an employee, you're delivering to your deliverables. And so you don't really look at your colleagues and the degree that they deliver to with any great critique. You sort of look, you might notice they're not as busy or something like that. But due to the technical nature of the work we were doing, I didn't really pay a huge amount of attention um, to what they did. And, and then when you're the manager, you know, these people you've worked with for three and a half years, all of a sudden you've got to start a performance conversation with them. And how do you do that? So, you know, the challenge is, I, I believe it was probably one of the toughest challenges. And I always say that to people when they, you know, show an interest in stepping up into their boss's role is it's, e it's more it's easier often, in my view, to take a first leadership role in an area you don't know about than an area you know intimately well. Because, you know, the emotional challenge of going from being, you know, a really good friend with these people to then being their boss and being isolated was huge, huge. And you really, you had to have courage to front up every day. And they knew you didn't know how to be a manager, that it was your first role. So you're kind of learning, they're your test case as you're learning it. When you go to a different role, they don't know all of your background and all of your experience. So, you know, there's an element of they trust you until they don't. 
when you've gone within the team, my my feeling was, you know, you've got to you've got to earn our trust. Like you've got to prove that you can do this because we know you as this person and now you're a different one. And you know, that was pretty tough. Yeah. And they and they're watching your every move and yeah. and it's but those old relationships are just they're now different and uh, yeah. as, as tough for them as it is for you and and yeah no that that is and when you say a different role you're talking about perhaps doing working in the same kind of role or c- yeah. kind of area but with a different in a different team so that it's yeah. not you're not yeah. stepping up within the team no 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 so, just, so is, um, yeah different team different team so as a so if you're a, if you're a new manager hmm. stepping up from a you know from from the uh, technical role in the team to the to the leader of the team and manager of the team. Is there anything in particular that you'd advise someone to to do or not to do that might help make that transition a little easier? Yeah, there's a few things. I had when I moved to Australia. Um, I had a colleague. He was much older than me, and he pulled me aside, and um, he said to me, "Your toolbox is full." And I looked at him as if to say. I'm not sure whether that's a compliment or an insult or exactly how to take this. And he said, if you want to learn and you want to be the best leader you could be, you have to start with a new toolbox. And you will acquire skills and strategies and techniques, but none of the ones that you've used to date are the right tools for the future. And I thought, but I've been promoted. Like I've taken this big global role, you know, and all these things that are running through your head around self-doubt. Geez, if I let some stuff go, what will people think of me? Like how will, you know, how will I be credible and all that sort of stuff? And and I said to him, what, nothing? And he said, nothing. And I thought, wow, okay, okay. And so, you know, I really, I really do recall that conversation quite deeply because I remember thinking, Okay, so what do I need to work on? And I went away and um, I did some reading actually on a couple of things. And one of them was about, and most recently you can read about her anyway, she's pretty clever, um, Brene Brown. And she does a whole podcast around, and I've read her books and everything, and she's about being vulnerable and being curious, but also a couple of things that she does, which I really, really resonated with me back then, particularly is honesty. So being honest that um, you're learning stuff at the same time you're doing stuff with your team, actually the support you get is phenomenal. They're not out to dupe you, you know. They're happy to support your learning if you show that vulnerability. Um, And the other one was about being courageous. So genuinely being courageous to actively listen, take feedback on board, and do something with that because my natural um, instinct would be, you know, to ignore this old bugger and think, well, they gave me this bloody great role. Like they didn't give it to me because I'm incompetent. Um, but then the other part of it was he was completely right. I would never have grown. I would have just tried the same stuff that I'd always tried versus actually getting the results that I got because I took people with me. You know, that was a massive thing that I learned. Um, I could drive delivery. I could drive positive outcomes for the business, but it was really lonely when you do it all on your own. 
and by actually really pulling my senior leadership team together and saying, I'm new to this, you know, I need your help to get this outcome, um, you know, that's really vulnerable. And, and you have this corporate veneer where you, everyone wants to think that they're all in control and that they've got all the answers. And having the courage to have those conversations that were really honest was really hard. But he's right. You, you do fill your toolkit and you fill it with so many things that you didn't even know were possible if you actually let yourself be open to learning. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's so insightful. I, uh, and you were talking about stepping into a global role. So presumably your direct reports are all leaders as well. Yep. And perhaps there were some other layers below those as well. For someone that's just stepped into a leadership role where they've got direct reports that are, that are the technical experts that they stepped yep. out of, like in your first role, same thing would apply. I'm learning, come with Absolutely. me, come on a journey with me, help me. Yeah. And when I did it with my team, because they knew that I was learning, I, di- I wasn't expressive about it. And so then, you know, there are a number of times they were like, well, you should know this. You're our boss. You know, it got a little bit tense where when I took on the next role, you know, I was just really honest with them. Hey, I'm learning this stuff. You guys are breaking the rules. Same time, I'm learning what the rules are. You know, how do we, how do we work through this? Maybe that's just a communication thing. It's around, you know, the expectation setting and, and really you don't have to know everything. That was a big learning. That's that's really powerful, isn't it? I I've met a lot of leaders and been there myself, where you feel that you have to know everything. You, you know that whole um, I, I can't let it slip. I can't let people see that I don't know what I'm doing because they might I might appear to be incompetent or weak. You know the whole imposter syndrome thing. Um, whereas it's actually the opposite. That if you think that you have to know everything, it's going to put a lot of stress on you, a lot of pressure, and ultimately you're going to be answering all the questions, making all the decisions. Where actually you don't have all the answers, and so. I've found a far more powerful approach is, is to focus on asking really good questions and mm. and uncovering stuff and helping other people provide the answers themselves and do work it out for themselves rather than me having to do mm. it all for them. Is that something that, that is that? Absolutely. Kind of the same area? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and again, that comes down to, you know, some of the values and some of the things that intrinsically motivate you. And as a leader, you know, I genuinely believe that you have to have a desire to want to succeed through others. Because if you want to be a leader, and um, I was writing down some, you know, notes to kind of keep me on track as well, but I was, I wrote down, you know, um, ambition versus hierarchy. And so, you know, I meet a lot of people that say, you know, when did you decide you wanted to be a CIO or when did you decide you wanted to be a chief executive? I never decided that um, and I don't really look at the role because of the title. I look at the role because of what's involved in it and where are they at and what sort of leader do they need for that time. Um, the hierarchy just happens to be something that sometimes comes with there's some alignment between the ambition versus it being something that I've purposefully sought out opportunities to step up. People think when you get higher, you have more responsibility and you can just change the world. Yes, you can, but you also come with a huge amount of accountability. And, you know, that's not all sunshine and unicorns and rainbows every day. You know, that comes with a lot of, a lot of angst. And 
And and I just, um, I don't think we talk into that sometimes. People just see the polish and they think, wow, this is really great. You know, this person's got it all together. Well, you know, that's how we're conditioned to present stuff. It's not always the case. Not always the case. That, that sort of leads to a really interesting thought for me uh, and, and a big deal. When you look at Gallup's research on uh, people being hired into management roles, their research shows 82% of decisions, hiring decisions for managers are wrong. It's like, mm. whoa, that's just an astonishing number. And and the, the implication from that is that not everyone should be a manager. In your, in your uh, experience, how do you help people that have potential for management see the benefit of going into that path and give them some experience perhaps in, in the lead up to it? And how do you help people who really ultimately the best thing they could focus on would, being a, would be being a, te- you know, a technical expert. How do you help people see the, the, the best path for them and then laid across the top of that in most organisations, and not all, but in most, um, the, the path into leadership and management is the one that gives you the best financial reward, the most status and what have you, which tends to bias decisions towards going down that path and ultimately may contribute significantly to why we've got 82% of managers, according to Gallup, decisions for managers that are, that are wrong. Is there yeah. any insight you've got into how you could help, uh, if someone's looking at a leadership role, making a decision whether they should go into leadership or stay in their technical path and, and go up that hill, how would they go about deciding or, or, or identifying what the right path for them is? Um, this is something I am quite passionate about. You do come across a lot of leaders and managers um, that shouldn't, should never be responsible for people. And it's not that they're malicious. It's not that they're not highly capable. They just don't intrinsically get motivated by leading people. And they're there because they've fallen into roles or um, they've applied for it for the status, for the hierarchy or for the remuneration. And um, they've had some technical expertise, which has meant, A, they've got the ambition and then they've got the technical background. So they get appointed to a role. Um, I've controversially appointed a lot of people over my years working and most of them don't have the technical competency in a role at all. And But they have in spades the mana to actually develop and lead people and you meet them and you just think, what on earth are you doing in this role? Like, why are you hidden in this place and no one can see the good? And, you know, I've had some staff, numerous staff over the years that have been highly trusting when I've sort of met with them and I've said, you know, I know you may be indirectly reporting to me or, you know, what on earth are you doing here? Like, you are just phenomenal. And you have to build a rapport with them so they put some faith in you and some trust in you. And, you know, a number of them I have put into leadership roles or team leader roles, the first ever leadership role, and they have done phenomenally well. And you look at them and you think you always had that in you. Like, they feel this gratitude towards you, but it's nothing to do with that. It's just that you can see that that's actually what they should be doing. Yeah. And then, you know, you've, you inherit people as you get more senior that are in roles that shouldn't be. And there's a couple of things that I do with them. 
And one is really sit down and listen to what excites them in the role. And then you play that back to them. And when they hear it back, what they've told you, and then you say to them, so does that sound like a leadership role? And often it's quite confronting. And there are a couple of things that I like to do. One is to get them some external career coaching. And the reason for that is you can't career coach your own staff because you have a bias. You have a bias because you were employed by an organization to deliver results. So you're not impartial, whether you pretend to be or not, like it's wrong. And the same as mentoring your own direct reports. It's not healthy because you are naturally going to have a bias towards getting an outcome that's better for you in the organization. That's just the way it works. Um, and so they then can go through some work with an external that can help them actually come up. What are your values? What are the, what's your purpose of being? And what intrinsically motivates you? Because we spend so much of our life working. It's horrible to see people in roles that they don't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just soul destroying. It's soul destroying to see them, to see their team. And then to try and drive them to drive a better performance or a high-performing culture, and they're not a leader. You know, it's not fair. You're setting them up to fail, and no one wants to see that either. Um, and it is, you're, you're right, most people are appointed because it is the only place for them to go. And I really challenge that. I think that's a little bit of a myth. You know, there are solution architects that I've met over the years that are phenomenal. And they only ever became those because they worked for this bolshy blonde with a big mop of hair who said to them, you're, you're not a people leader. How do we do some professional development to get you into this architecture space? You know, you're naturally very strategic. You want to keep on the tools, but not to the level where you're doing lines of code and you want to shape the future. There is a pathway for that and it's not leadership. And, you know, in some businesses, we've created a technical lead role um, or, you know, we develop our solution architecture practice so you can actually give people career pathway, yeah. wow. you know, but it does take a courageous leader to see that there are opportunities to do that and the payback comes back in dividends because you've got a highly engaged employee that's still on a learning journey and not leading a team, which they don't like doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's brilliant. I um. I, I fully support that. I'm passionate about it as well, is that we need to build two paths in our organisations. And there are a few companies that I'm aware of that do that. And then ultimately the financial reward is pretty minimal difference between the two. So you then end up making a decision based on where you should go. Mm. It's best for you. And ultimately that's best for the organisation as well. Because if you put a technical person that should be a solution architect not ideally set up to lead people and leading a team, then not only do you take out one of the best people out of the business, you then put the, you, you run the risk of um, of a team that isn't well led and therefore maybe demoralised and doesn't deliver the results. Mm. So it's it's a that's that goes the wrong way. Whereas the other way that you've just talked about takes it takes it this way, right? And mm. and ultimately, there are fewer leaders than there are people delivering things, and we want you want the best people delivering things as well. Absolutely, right? and I think you should celebrate that. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that, oh, that's fantastic, um, Diana. A couple of things just before we wrap up. As a as a as a leader of leaders, as someone, what advice would you give for someone in a leadership role that's just appointed a new technical leader? 
into a role to help that could make the best chance or give them the best chances of success and minimize the chances of failure and get going with that toolbox. And I love that analogy with that, with that, that, mm. that toolbox. What, what would you advise a leader of leaders to do to help their new appointee, their new technical person in the leadership role, looking up this really big hill going, whoa, mm. you know, it, it looks tough to succeed. Really sit down with, the new leader and ask them what they think success looks like. Often what they see is Mount Everest and they're harder than on themselves than you ever will be. And it's also so you can align some expectations. So when they decide, you know, you say to them, okay, what will the next three months look like for you? What will the next 12 months and what will the next 18 months and even if they're not your direct report or indirect report, but if they're a first-time leader, it's really important you do this. And, you know, when they say, well, I'm going to, you know, have solved world hunger at this park and then I'm going to have dealt with all the cancer research at this point and so on and so forth, you go, hmm, so why hasn't that been done before? <laughs> and they go, oh, but I wasn't, you know, I'm just, you know, and you go, okay, so, you know, you want to be grounded with them and you want to say realistically, like what would be the one thing you could achieve in the next three months? That's within your remit, that would be really good and we could celebrate. And then building on that, like what would what would be the one thing you could do between that three-month mark and the six-month mark? Because what you've got to give them is space to grow and develop and work out who they are. And if it's overwhelming at the beginning, it's not a positive outcome. And whether they work directly for you or indirectly for you, I think it's really important that they understand there's not this false pressure from above. And that, you know, in order, you're vested in their, them being successful as much as they are. And that it is a partnership. So they're not on their own. They will have moments where, you know, and, and you'll know this as much as I do, um, you know, you set these unrealistic goals and it takes a huge amount of courage to either A, front into it and say, didn't make it or um, you know make it just on time and it not be your best effort and so you don't want that either because you don't want them failing within the first six to 12 months you know that stays with you a long time yeah. and that can shape their leadership ongoing what you want them to do is actually see that there are measurable things that you can acquire over time and that it is a journey it doesn't just end you don't just do 12 months in a roll and it's it's all going to be, you know, perfect and everything's done. It is a journey. It's a journey. Like, I'm still learning stuff every day, every day. Yeah. yeah and the day, and making the day. mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> making mistakes, learning from it, getting feedback, yeah. being open, yeah. you know, taking, the, taking the step in courage, and, in courage into that, that thing yeah. that, that you haven't done before, knowing that you'll, that some, that you'll work it out somehow. Yeah. Well, um, just, just one last thing just to make sure that I haven't missed asking you anything. Is, is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't, Diana? Um, last comments you'd like to make? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think we're at a really exciting time. I really love the generation that are coming through. Uh, they don't, they're not burdened by some of the social conditioning that we had. And I think that's fantastic. And so as leaders we have a responsibility to embrace that because a lot of the social conditioning we've had has been reasonably traditional. And, you know, now 
the number of startups and the number of people who are willing to push boundaries and try different things and explore is a really exciting time. And, you know, when I see new leaders wanting to step forward, I think it's wonderful. There's two things that I, that I always give them and I say to them, learn about the past, not to be burdened by it, but to learn what worked and what didn't work. A, because sometimes things that didn't work then doesn't mean they won't work in the future because the timing is different or the environment is different, and that could be a gift. Um, and the other thing is when you look at how organisations grow and how things change, it is a bit of a cycle. So you could borrow things that have been done in the past and you know leverage them, and that's helpful. But, um, yeah, I really do think there is a good movement and there is a real shift. And, you know, I hope by the time my teenagers, are, you know, into their middle of their careers, they have seen that shift and they don't come up against a lot of the stuff that you and I, Campbell, we would have seen over our time. Wow, that's Fantastic, Diana. That's been a it's been an amazing conversation um, that we've had, and an incredible number of insights and valuable information, and some real gems that that anyone watching or listening to this can take away either as a new leader that's moved from a technical role into a leadership role, or an, anyone moving into a leadership role, and also the as a more senior leader that is a leader of leaders, and some of the things that they can do to make sure that the their new leaders succeed and and uh, and minimise the chances of failure. So thank you very much. Your insight has been outstanding, and your engagement. Thank you, Diana. Uh, it's been great talking to you, and we'll uh, hopefully have you back on the show again some at some point. Yeah, my pleasure. See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit, but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call. iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.